You're listening to The Spear, a podcast about the combat experience from the Modern War Institute at West Point. More than 100 meters outside the village, you were definitely getting in a firefight. My first patrol I took, we had a far ambush. And then it was just a, a huge explosion. The primary threat was RKG-3 grenades, like machine guns and AK-47s, that kind of thing. Small arms fire, RPG fire. Explosively formed penetrators. Suicide bombs. And then that's about the time that the third IED went off. And that's when another grenade comes spinning over the side of the wall. And it's at that point the IED chain detonates. There was enemy in the wire. There's all these Humvees on fire. It, it was truly bullets flying from every angle that, that you could see. I open the door and look outside, and all I see is muzzle flashes. There's a guy on top with a 240, and the rounds passed right past his head. At that point, our instincts kicked in. One, one pilot on the controls, the other pilot was using his M4 to engage single-man targets on the ground. You're shooting at everything. It was a fight. Welcome to The Spear, brought to you by the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm your host, Tim Heck, and today I'm joined by Captain Mike Houghton, attack officer here at West Point. Mike, welcome to The Spear. Thanks, Tim. It's a pleasure to be here. So how'd you wind up in the Army? You know, it's, uh, it was always a childhood dream of mine. It really, from you know, sixth, seventh grade, I, I was set on coming to one of the academies uh, as I went through high school. Um, you know, I had the, the pitch, I don't know if you ever heard it, but when you go around to the different academies, they all have different things that are up on their pedestals, um, you know, that they really show off around their academies. You go to the Air Force Academy, they've got planes, you go to the Naval Academy, they've got, they've got anchors and they've got cannons. But when you come here to West Point, it's, it's people. Um, it's the generals that we, we've had that have, have made our army. Um, and that's really what, what convinced me to ultimately lock into coming to West Point and, and being in the army was uh, the focus is on people. And, you know, that's, that's everything that the, uh, the army strives to, strives to do. When you came to West Point, what'd you major in? I majored in engineering management. Uh, wasn't a great uh, academic, but <laughs> I got through here and uh, survived and made it out to the real army where uh, I've definitely been much happier. What did you branch coming out of West Point? Branch infantry. Um, as I mentioned, you know, being pretty low on the academic totem pole, I, I had to brad so. So I'm actually still under my, my initial contract coming out of West Point. So uh, things have come full circle here before I was ever, ever even had the opportunity to get out. So for those of us that aren't West Point alums or those listeners that aren't, what is a Bradso? So Bradso is, so the, the original contract that you have for, for every cadet is you do five years active duty, three years reserves. Um, for me to guarantee that I got infantry branch, which is the branch of my choice, um, I basically turned those three extra reserve years into active duty. So um, upon graduation, I branched infantry and I had an eight-year active duty contract. So what was your pipeline after graduating West Point? So after graduating West Point, um, you know, went down to uh, Fort Benning, Georgia for, for iBullock. Um, that was a 20-week program at the time I was there. Immediately after iBullock, uh, went into Ranger School. I uh, went to Ranger School from April to June of 2015. And then immediately after Ranger School, went to the Striker Brigade Combat Team Leader Course. Uh, I think it's just Striker Leader Course now. Um, and that was the, the follow-on course because I was going to a, a Striker Brigade for my first assignment. Where was that brigade? That was out at uh, Fort Bliss, Texas. So I was in the uh, 1st Brigade of uh, 1st Armored Division in El Paso, Texas. And it was the, the one striker brigade um, with the uh, two other heavy armor brigades that, are, that were there for 2nd and 3rd Brigade. Coming out of the light infantry training at Ranger School, was transitioning to strikers a, a 
big mental shift for you? It was definitely uh, definitely a transition. You know, there's a lot of training that I really had to undertake once I got to my unit. Um, and I had really great leaders, you know, battalion commander, company commander that, that really brought me up to speed fast um, with the strikers. It's a completely different, different platform, completely different type of fighting that, uh, you know, you don't really war game a, a whole bunch um, during your education here. So that was a lot of learning, you know, through sticks and, and live fires um, out there in the desert of El Paso. Um, but at the end of the day, those strikers are just a, it's a method to get you to the battlefield, you know, get you to the objective. And at the end of the day, we'd still, you know, still dismount and it's still light infantry tactics once you get that, get that platoon on the ground and move on to the objective. You mentioned your officers, the battalion commander, the company commander. What about the NCOs that you were exposed to uh, at Fort Bliss? Yeah, I really had phenomenal NCOs. Um, my staff sergeants and, and my platoon sergeant, um, especially, you know, when I first got there, the, uh, I had a platoon sergeant, but he, he had to go on to, uh, the casualty assistance duty. So I actually lost him for about two months. Kind of put me, uh, you know, pretty stressed out, pretty anxious at first there being, being a new PL and, and not having a, a full-time platoon sergeant, but it really forced me to kind of find my way in the battalion. Um, you know, re- reach out to a lot of resources and, and try and train myself. When he came back, uh, man, it was it was night and day. It was it was really great to have, you know, a platoon sergeant that just really fulfilled that duty in, in every sense in every sense of in re- responsibility. And we we had a great great relationship. Um, he very much understood you know, the, the clear responsibilities of the platoon sergeant. It was great at you know medevac, casevac, all the logistical um, resourcing of the platoon. I I never never had any kind of issue. Um, so it really gave me the opportunity to focus on training my team leaders and then facilitating my squad leaders to make sure that we had the best training possible in everything that we did. Had your platoon sergeant deployed before? He had, yeah. So he uh, he had been in, I want to say, probably about 14 or 15 years at that point. Um, several deployments with uh, light units, heavy units alike. Out at Fort Bliss was his first time in the Strikers, but you know, he was he was very versatile. Um, he knew exactly how to how to fight mounted, and as well as once we once we got onto the ground, he was he was great at the light fight. What was that interaction like? You being in charge, being the sir, him being the one with the experience. You know, it's it's one that's based in respect. Um, you know, I, I came into that position, taking over as a platoon leader. You have to come in with humility. Um, you know, I came in and during our, my initial counseling with my platoon sergeant, I told him that. I expect him to teach me. I expect him to to be my mentor, to um, you know, lead me and correct me. Um, and he promised to do that behind closed doors, away from the platoon, if he ever disagreed with me. And and we always, you know, we didn't have disagreements, but he very much uh, gave me very good learning points and um, really developed me well. And always did it in a very good setting that um, wouldn't wouldn't demean my authority at all, and wouldn't demean my my it wouldn't change my impact with the platoon. Um, he very, it was very willing to give me credit for a lot of things that I will gladly say were his idea at this point. So, you know, it's really a, a dream of a, of a platoon sergeant, um, you know, one that you really wish to have when you're, when you're at West Point and, you know, going through iBullock and everything else, you're, you're very nervous about that relationship. And he very much made it a, a great, great first relationship for me. As part of that relationship, were you going through a workup for a deployment? We were. Um, so when, when I first got there, first got to the unit, this was you know, late 2015, going into 2016. Uh, we were the striker battalion as the uh, part of the Global Response Force, the GRF. Um, so for the first six months, we were 
you know, we were at a high state of readiness. Um, we were doing a lot of Idris, a lot of drills, um, even, you know, loading strikers out at the, the airfield they have at, at Fort Bliss um, and just ready to go at a moment's notice. So we were the striker component to the light unit that, that deploys um, in that capacity. Um, after those initial six months, we, we came up on the patch chart. Um, you know, as being ready to go to Afghanistan in early 2017. So that really put all the gears into motion for us to go to uh, the National Training Center out at Fort Irwin. Uh, we went out there in the fall of 16, and that was kind of our, our final validation that the, the brigade as a whole was was ready to go to Afghanistan. At Irwin, did you feel ready to go? I did. Um, so at that point, I had been a platoon leader for about 13 months. Um, I had a great relationship with all my squad leaders. I was fully confident in their abilities. Um, again, great relationship with my platoon sergeant. We'd been together for that entire 13 months um, that I was a platoon leader. And we had a, we had a really uh, good, successful platoon. Um, we were able to accomplish every mission that was given to us at the National Training Center. You know, obviously it's going to be stressful. You're not sleeping much. You're, you're dirty. You're tired. But um, you know, really actually enjoyed that rotation a lot. Um, and the company that, that I was a part of, we had great camaraderie. Um, you know, really, I really worked well with, with the platoon leaders um, that were with me, as well as the XO above me. And my company commander was, was really someone that I admired and he, someone who really uh, brought me up well and taught me how to, how to be a good officer in the Army. He, he was prior enlisted before. But yeah, so coming out of NTC, I, I definitely felt ready for the deployment. I was excited. Um, you know, didn't know what to expect, but graduating West Point in 2014, I didn't think there was a chance I was ever going to be able to, to be a part of, of our nation's wars, um, you know, in the war on terror in Iraq or Afghanistan. So I was honored. I was excited, a little bit anxious to, to get over there. Did you deploy as a platoon leader? I did. Yeah. So I initially deployed as a platoon leader in January of 2017. Um, and this was in attack company 417 infantry from, you know, first brigade, first armored, um, served as a platoon leader, basically through the whole rip process. And then I began to, to change out, um, out of that platoon leader spot about six weeks into the deployment. Um, and they were going to move me over to, uh, to a different company to, to be a company XO for, for courage company in 417. Did you know why? You know, I just kind of hit my time. Um, I was at, I think 22 months of being a platoon leader at that point. Um, it, you know, had a lot of good counseling sessions with our battalion commander at that time. And he rightly, um, you know, charted out a path for me that being a, being a company XO would benefit me the most for, for my future in the army as a, as a company commander. I agreed with that. Um, very hard to, to leave the platoon, especially you know, so soon in the deployment. Um, I was really excited to, to be a platoon leader. Didn't really want to take a step back and, and, you know, deal with a lot of the things behind the scenes that an XO has to, but, um, I, I was, I was happy to, Happy to change it up a little bit, new challenges, and, and just continually uh, becoming a little bit more important figure within the battalion, um, and just having uh, being able to start over and kind of test my, my leadership abilities in a, in a much different way. What was that transition like when you went over to Charlie Company? So at first, it, it took, me a, a, took me a bit to get used to it. Um, you know, as I've told a lot of my cadets and a lot of lieutenants that I've worked with, my first night as an XO, I remember we had a, I shared a little plywood, um, you know, plywood office space with uh, with the company first sergeant and that first night I didn't I didn't know what I didn't know I sat there and stared at that plywood wall for probably two or three hours just uh, you know just wondering what I could do to help the company what wondering what I was supposed to be doing but you know after two or three weeks on ground I started started to pick it up started to understand the the maintenance required on, on the trucks we had there and uh, part of the difficulty was you're, I was no longer in a garrison environment so you know the typical typical maintenance the typical supply requests that you would do in garrison were very different deployed when you're, you're dealing with the different contractors and, and the different systems that they have in place there um, so it definitely was a, a very new learning experience for me 
Did you have an inkling before you deployed that you would be transitioning over to be the XO or did this kind of get dropped on you? No, I did. Um, so it was it was kind of up in the air whether I was going to take over as an XO or if I was going to take over as the mortar platoon leader for the battalion. Um, and basically what happened with the where the battalion was deployed um, in uh, in Nagarhar, Afghanistan and, and being based out of uh, Jalalabad Airfield, they didn't have a... Um, they didn't have a centralized battalion mortar platoon. They ended up kind of farming out um, the mortars, you know, down to down to company mortars. So pushing out the the mortar sections down to the companies, and then the um, there wasn't a centralized mortar section. I guess that could be that could be useful to the mission that we under, were undertaking there. It strikes me as odd that six weeks into a deployment, you're getting transferred not only from position, you know, from a platoon leader's job to an XO's job, but an XO in an entirely different company. Was there a reason for that? Yeah, it's uh, like I said, I definitely wasn't, I wasn't really excited to move. I wish I could have done my whole whole deployment as a platoon leader, but um, the battalion at the time was was heavy uh, heavy on officers. So we had a uh, we had a lieutenant that was basically the the fourth lieutenant in our company at that time. He you know kind of did a lot, helped, kind of an assistant XO, but also um, like an assistant PL. So you know he ran a lot of things in the in the training room, helped out the commander and the XO with a lot of their tasks. But he had he had done his his dues within the company. Um, he had been with us for about three months, you know, waiting to take over my platoon. Um, and I think the our battalion commander and our battalion staff they were. We got them to a point, or we got the platoon to a point during the rip. Um, you know, we'd under we had done a couple patrols, um, you know, outside the wire and um, established a good feel for the area of operations. And I, th- I think the battalion staff felt that our platoon and that attack company was uh, in a really good spot to kind of go through that transition. So with the mission set for for attack company, there it was a mixture of securing the base so you know running running gate guard they did some guardian angel missions and then they also had a sec four mission that was that was going out um outside the wire to um basically defeat um any indirect fire that that may have been coming in and that went on a rotation so they did do it smart where they waited till my platoon was on the gate guard detail and there was a one month you know one one month rotation um so it it really minimized the risk there of, of switching out a platoon leader. Um, let the guy that the lieutenant that replaced me come in and, and really get his feet wet and you know really bring in his style of leadership before they ever had a, any missions going outside the wire. You mentioned lying in that cubicle basically the, the, the first night as the XO. I'm assuming at some point you started to sleep a little better. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Um, you know, I it was something just personal with me too, is just going into a completely different place. I had actually moved from, um, from Fob Gambury, which was up in Logman province, which is where attack company was down to Fob Fenty at Jalalabad airfield where, where courage company was. So I was at a completely new base. Um, I was working with a completely new company, completely new peers, all new lieutenants, um, all new NCOs, you know, so it's really, it took, it takes me about two to three weeks to really kind of feel out the personalities, find you know who my who my resources are, uh, all those sort of things. But yeah, once once you kind of get in, you make a couple couple good friends, and um, you know really kind of start building that relationship with, with the first sergeant and the commander. That's when you can start to flow a little bit, and you can get into your job and um, really start to make a difference. The shift from a small fob or cop up north down to JBAD, what was that like? That was different for sure. Um, it was. 
you know, when you're in those different bases, you always kind of, you know, you hear the rumor mill about what your different platoons and different companies are doing at all their different bases. Um, but getting down there, it was it was interesting because I went from a um, small cop, like you said, up in Logman, which was uh, a, a fairly small um, U.S. force contingent with, with a larger um, Afghan army presence on that base um, to down at Jalalabad Airfield, which was, um, you know, basically a battalion strength of, of conventional U.S. forces. There's um, U.S. special forces there. There are, as well as a uh, you know, lar- large element of contractors, the airfields there, the Air Force. So just, you know, this uh, very large joint force. Um, so much bigger, much uh, more overwhelming at first to kind of figure out the systems and the different resources to use. What was the company's mission? So the company, we Courage Company was the, the one company that was there um, that had platoons that, that were operating throughout the area. So we had four platoons. Uh, we had the three normal infantry platoons that were uh, organic to Courage Company. And we had a uh, the scout platoon. The battalion scouts were attached to our company. Um, and then we also had a cargo element, so a combined arms route clearance, basically an engineer uh, route clearance platoon that was about 50 people. Um, they had all, their, all the different vehicles. And so that, that was something else for me as an XO was managing these brand new different vehicle types, um, you know, covering, covering the gamut of, you know, six or seven different type of vehicles uh, that, that I had no, no experience with until actually being deployed. So that was, that was definitely interesting and definitely had to catch up to speed on that. Um, as far as our mission set, though, we had uh, two primary, um, two primary, excuse me, three primary mission sets. So the first one was Guardian Angel. We had two platoons set on Guardian Angel. And what they would do is basically a platoon would serve as a, as a security detail for the advisors that were, they would do what's called a fly to advise. So they would uh, you know, load up in helicopters and they'd fly to uh, different Afghan bases and they would advise them on, on logistics, on security, on um, the whole whole manner of operations. So we had platoons dedicated to protecting those advisors. Um, we also had the route clearance mission. This was largely undertaken by by the CARCO platoon, the, the route clearance platoon, and they would go out uh, about three missions a week and they're clearing all the routes in the area, mostly within 10 kilometers um, of, of the airfield. Um, and then when, every time they would go out, they would also take a, a platoon, um, an infantry platoon to, uh, help, help provide security for them. And then finally we had the, uh, sec four IDF defeat mission. And what this was is that, um, being an airfield, having a lot of assets, having, you know, PTIDs, having a lot of air force assets, uh, special operations, you name it. Uh, Jalalabad airfield was a huge target you know, for the Taliban to, to lob IDF at us. Um, so a lot of 107 millimeter rockets were, were coming into the area. You know, they have CRAM, but they, they can always get through. And um, when, you, when you look at the uh, 107 millimeter rockets, they have about a seven to eight kilometer range. So if you just pull up a map and literally draw a circle at the seven to eight kilometer, um, you know, marker in, uh, around the base, and that really laid out all of the uh, point of origin sites for all the rockets that, w- that, we, would, uh, that we would receive. So um, the majority of, of our missions for for the IED or for the IDF defeat mission, um, we would go out to that seven to ten kilometer range and and be looking for caches, looking for launch sites, um, try and chase down any enemy that would be lobbing these rockets at at Jalalabad Airfield. As the XO, your primary job isn't going out with platoons, but did you get a chance to go out and see the other lieutenants in action? 
Yeah, I definitely did. Um, it took me a little while. You know, I had to earn the trust of the commander. Um, that was that was probably my biggest hurdle. Um, and I don't mean hurdle in a bad way, but it, he definitely wanted to see how I operated and make sure that I was worthy of being um, his second in command, you know, before he was going to uh, allow me to, to go outside the wire on some of these missions. Um, and then he also had to think about, you know, if something were to happen to him while he's on one of these missions, that he needs to have uh, continuity of command back, back at the airfield for the company. So for the first probably, three three months that I was the XO there, uh, the majority of my work was was on the base. It was taking taking place on Jalalabad Airfield. Um, and then once we really developed that that relationship between me and my commander, then he he started incorporating me into what he called a, a fighting XO. So basically, a, a mobile talk. Um, he would use me as you know controlling the the vehicles and, and the the vehicle dismount point, and then being that that primary source of, of retrans uh, up to our higher headquarters, as well as channeling um, all the different resources to him. You know, when when we get into a fight, so. Um, Working IDF clearance um, for for our mortars for for the artillery assets and then uh, bringing in the uh, attack aviation whether it's whether it's fixed wing or rotary wing coming in. You'd mentioned earlier that as the weather got hotter, uh, you started to get your feet under your ground. Was the increase in temperatures also concurrent with a uh, increase in in action? Yeah, it was. So, um, like I said, majority of the action we'd see was at you know, about 10 kilometers away from the base. And so there was certainly one area that was, you know, about south, it was southeast of the base, um, right about eight kilometers out. And, um, you know, it was basically a big empty riverbed with a couple small villages and, and compounds that were that were dotted alongside. Um, they had some routes running through it that our, our cargo platoon had hit a couple, a few IEDs. Um, but we also had some infantry platoons that, you know, were receiving contact from this area. And um, some of our, our partner forces, um, both uh, special operations and uh, our Afghan partners, uncovered and were able to recover some uh, some caches in this area. I think they found about three or four caches of 107 millimeter mortars, some RPGs, and uh, you know a lot of like belt belt fed ammo, a lot of 762. The CO called you a mobile talk. You've discussed this you know, kind of hotbed of activity and this potential hive. Did you wind up serving as a mobile talk for any actions in that area? We did. So, um, you know, with our company having so much contact with the, in, with the, with the enemy in this area, um, we, you know, whether it's route clearance, whether it's uh, our partners finding the caches or, or us taking direct fire from some of these compounds. Um, so in early summer um, of 2017, we had a platoon that was conducting movement to contact, conducting a patrol in this area, and uh, came in some pretty heavy contact with about a, a squad size enemy element, about 10 to 12 packs. And they were able to secure the area, fight off the enemy, and, and basically over about a 90-minute period, um, were able to eliminate that enemy and then you know egress from the area. Um, so coming back, my commander did a, a lot of good analysis and, and really understood the, the key terrain that the enemy had used to, to get an advantage and decided that he wanted to plan a, a company mission um, that would occupy that key terrain, um, you know, move in early in the morning, occupy that key terrain before the enemy could really detect our presence. He could control that key terrain and then clear some of these, uh, these compounds that um, have, have had known, known enemy known enemy presence and that they were using to uh, facilitate fighters into that area and to to attack the uh, coalition movements. That early morning mission, 
How much planning did you have ahead of time? What was your role as the XO? Were the Afghans involved? Lots of questions about, you know, kind of the lead up to this event. Yeah, so um, definitely, you know, this was probably about a week of planning and then uh, a week of of convincing, you know, our, our higher ups is to to allow us to go out knowing that we were you know, essentially searching directly to to root out the enemy um, in this area. And, you know, this is 2017. So it is the latter latter portions of the war. Um, you know, there was some some hesitancy um, to to go directly looking for a fight like this, knowing that we were going to find the enemy there and, and knowing that uh, our mission on this day was to eliminate the enemy. Um, so, yeah, probably about a week of planning and then a week of rehearsing um, before it ever took place. Um, on the day that it, it did take place, we had a we had a our cargo platoon, um, we had a infantry platoon, our company headquarters, and then we were partnered with the Afghan border police. And the Afghan border police were going to be split um, between the infantry platoon and the uh, company headquarters for this mission. Did you have previous working experience with those Afghans? We did. So. You know, when we every mission we went out, um, anything that was outside of outside the walls of Jalalabad Airfield, you it had to be partnered. So um, there was a difference; it, it varied um, by mission. Sometimes it was Afghan Border Police, sometimes it was the uh, Afghan National Police, sometimes it was the uh, the ANA, the, the Afghan National Army. Um, but today it was the Afghan Border Police, and in our experience, um, the Afghan Border Police they were they were decent fighters. Um, you know, they, they would, they were generally organized. They, they understood the basic tactics, um, and, and they were a group that we could, that we could rely on, um, to, to undertake a mission uh, of this magnitude. Was this the first mission you'd gone on for a while, or had you been routinely rolling out? I had been out a handful of times. Uh, this was the first mission that, uh, I would experience any sort of enemy contact though. What was going through your head as you're preparing to to mount up and, and roll out of the gate? You know, I think like anybody and like most soldiers that haven't been in contact before, I was I was excited. Um, you know, I wanted to go out and, um, you know, like any untested infantryman, I think you're, you're looking for that opportunity to, to earn your CIB and, and earn, um, you know, right, whether that's right or wrong, and you're looking to earn that respect to, of your peers. Um, so I was definitely excited. I was, I was thrilled to be a part of the mission. Um, you know, my, my company commander, Took a, a good bit of my input in the in the planning of the mission, um, and he really allowed me to um, facilitate everything that needed to be done as as far as the uh, load plans and, and recommendations on on who should come along for this mission. So um, I felt like a valuable member of the team, and I was excited to uh, be part of this mission. That um, you know we anticipated contact with the enemy. How long was the movement from Jalalabad to this key terrain? It took us about 30 minutes. Um, you know, we moved, moved in our vehicles, so we were in a mix of um, Max Pros, MRAPs. Um, we had uh, different, different engineer uh, route clearance vehicles that were going to operate in this area with us. Um, you know, and, and we were moving at a pace that, that the route clearance, uh, route clearance platoon could do a good job of, of identifying any potential IEDs, uh, being that we, we had hit some IEDs in this area before. Um, we didn't want the mission to be um, interrupted through an obstacle like that. So you move slow and steady, but it took us about 30 minutes ultimately to get down to, uh, to the area where, where the mission would take place. Once you arrived, what did you do? We were about north, um, north of the objective by about a kilometer. Uh, the first thing we established was a, a video, a vehicle drop-off. Uh, so essentially we circled the wagons, um, for, for our inf- infantry, uh, the, the infantry platoons that were in, in our max pros. 
And uh, we pulled security there for about 30 minutes while we allowed the uh, the engineer platoon, the Carco platoon, to kind of wheel wheel around to the uh, west, um, west southwest of the objective, um, along the routes that they've taken before and that they've been ambushed before. Um, and it was a little bit of a bait. Um, we knew we knew they had security and we knew they had um, overwhelming firepower should they come into contact early. But we allowed them to kind of uh, make their movement to the southwest and and potentially start drawing that enemy. Um, out into their fighting positions. Uh, once they started approaching the objective from the southwest, uh, my company commander dismounted with the infantry platoon, and they moved into um, positions north of the road and north of these of these compounds where we had been taking contact. So they got in within about 250 meters of these compounds into that key terrain where that the enemy had previously used to to ambush our cargo platoon. Um, and so by doing this, he's you know immediately taking away that key terrain. It had good cover and concealment. Um, is in a wood line with with a couple uh, you know good mud brick walls, um, and they were able to have really good uh, observation field of fire um, for the uh, tentative enemy positions in the compounds to the south. What are you doing? And where are you at this point? Yeah, so at this point, I remain with the VDO. So that's kind of where we established that mobile talk. Um, so I, I stayed in the vehicle with a, a small security element. And at this point, I, I'm essentially a retrans. I, I'm keeping the battalion commander and, um, and the battalion staff, everybody back at the battalion talk, completely updated of everything that's going on. I'm, I'm sending out the, um, you know, the OPSCED co-words and letting them know step-by-step step how the mission's progressing. And then I'm keeping in contact with, uh, you know, all, all of our available assets and enablers. So I'm talking to the artillery, um, you know, back at, back at uh, FOB Fenty. Um, you know, we're working with the, uh, the AWT, the Apaches that are, that are on the airfield there um, at, at Redcon, I think they're at Redcon 2 at that point. So they're, they're sitting, sitting on the airfield, just, you know, waiting, waiting for a call should anything, should anybody come into contact. And then I'm, I'm leveling the bubbles between the engineer platoon that's on the move and my company commander that's moving dismounted. Um, so I'm making sure that he has full awareness of where the engineer platoon is at um, as they progress towards the objective. As everybody's progressing, things are going smoothly or does at some point the enemy uh, get its vote? Yeah, so everything went smoothly. Uh, actually, you know, everything went perfectly according to plan initially. So moving up to that key terrain, our, our dismounted infantry platoon was was able to uh, get into position and they were able to occupy that key terrain and establish that that overwatch position um, really without without any any sort of issue. And so they're set in the overwatch position. The, the cargo platoon is moving from north to south. They come to an intersection where they're going to turn to the east. And this intersection is going to lead them along a road that it parallels the compounds um, that the enemy is suspected to be occupying. Um, as they approach this intersection, they, the engineer dismounted element, as well as uh, a portion of a, about half an infantry platoon that's serving as their, as their dismount security, they dismount at that intersection and they're going to start conducting V-sweeps, which is uh, the method they use to identify um, any IEDs, any, uh, any sort of trigger wires or anything that may have been uh, buried under the roads and culverts. And they were going to clear dismounted ahead of, the, uh, ahead of the mounted route clearance element from that point um, all, the way, all the way down the road to the east. As they dismounted, a, a motorcycle actually pulled up. It was a, a local, local farmer, rancher. Um, and he said, the Taliban is in this area. 
you need to leave. Said that once or twice to our interpreters and then got on his motorcycle and sped away. Whether that man was Taliban or not, I, you know, I can't say, but um, definitely it's a, uh, it was a, it was a good tip um, for our guys that were on the ground. You know, it, it kind of, it got them in that mindset, understanding that they will be moving into contact and it kind of serves as their, you know, probable line of deployment. So they're able to, to get into their, the correct movement formations and um, really clear the area, understanding that, that contact is imminent. You weren't on the ground at this point, though. So did you get relayed that message? Yeah, so that was uh, the message is relayed from that platoon leader, the infantry platoon leader that was on the ground there at that intersection. Um, he sent it to me, and then I relayed, relayed that uh, to my company commander, who was in the overwatch position, as well as back to the battalion talk. This guy's driven up on the motorcycle. He's given you a warning of some kind. What's going on in your head and in, kind of in, in your life as the XO at this point? So as soon as that message comes from from the platoon leader that's on the ground in the intersection that you know he he's just told this this tip from from this guy on the motorcycle, um, I'm immediately leveling the bubbles across the formation. So I'm I'm retransmitting that down to my company commander who's in the Overwatch position, um, so that so that he has full awareness of that. He starts to reposition our, our company company mortars, our 60 millimeters that he has uh, co-located with him, um, knowing that that contact is really imminent at this point. Um, and then I'm communicating back to the battalion talk. Um, what the battalion talk is going through is is probably working with, uh, you know, the ar- the artillery that's there on Fob Fenty. They're they're calling over to the airfield and making sure that that the Apaches are tracking that there's probably going to be um, you know contact coming in soon. Um, and then they get all the processes going that they need to to get down to this area and, and support us in a, in a short amount of time. How long between the arrival of the warning message and action was there? So thinking back, it's probably within five minutes. Um, so they get that message, the motorcycle takes off, and then they get into their, you know, they kind of deploy into, the, you know, they hit the problem line deployment when they know that there's going to be contact coming. Um, and as soon as they're set, they, they start taking contact from, from two enemy positions to the south, uh, one to the uh, southwest of the cargo position and one kind of directly to the south. One of these is... Each position has about three to five enemy personnel, um, and there's an RPG that's at the one to the uh, southwest of their position. Um, so they immediately, you know, kind of re- or- reorient, um, you know, to the south uh, for, for where that platoon is at. They The vehicles were actually blocked by a, by a few uh, buildings, a few compounds that they had to kind of remaneuver themselves to, to get a clear line of sight. Um, in order to engage the enemy, but the dismounts were able to quickly um, get to a, an area of of cover and concealment where they were, were able to fire back um, at the enemy with small arms. Did you hear those shots happening? Yeah, I definitely heard the, heard the reports coming, uh, I mean, the reports from the rifles coming um, pretty, pretty shortly after, after the contact began. And then um, immediately got a sit rep from the platoon leader that's on the ground there that, that there were troops in contact. Um, you know, he gave me the three Ds of exactly where they're at. And he was actually able to, um, because he had given such an accurate frontline trace of his position, when he gave me the three Ds of you know, one enemy element, um, you know, 200 meters at uh, whatever whatever the, the azimuth was, and then another one um, with, with distance and direction. I was able to get that message back to the talk, and they were able to get the, the Apaches on the way, um, headed directly to those positions. Um, so the Apaches were about 10 minutes away, maybe less, um, but they were, they were in the air and they were on the way down. When the message came in and when the reports come in, did anything change internally for you or was there a change in energy in the talk? 
there was definitely a change in energy, you know, from the messages I was getting from the talk. They're, you know, they're kind of rapidly asking for, uh, you know, for sit reps, for for frontline traces, um, and and being the XO and you know being that that mobile um, that mobile command post, I wanted to really filter a lot of that for my commander. Um, I didn't want him to have his earpiece blowing up, um, you know, with messages coming in from the higher headquarters. So. I did my best to kind of give them updates, but also provide um, provide that that tactical patience for, for the platoon leader on the ground and my company commander trying trying to fight the company. Did you also have any kind of internal sense? Right, gunshots are going off. You've said earlier this is your first expected major contact. Anything happening to you? Yeah, thinking back, I. There was, there's definitely the excitement. You get that adrenaline rush as soon as you hear that first gunshot. You know your, your body gets flooded with it, but it you, you hear it so many times. But your training just comes into play, and you're you're solely focused on the task at hand. There's not another thing in the world that matters at that point. Um, all all I care about, you know, being being this command post is that I'm communicating clearly and effectively to to my commander, to the platoon leaders below me, um, to all the elements involved in in this battle, and making sure that we can bring everything to bear that we have available to, to eliminate this enemy and, and make sure that our guys make it out of this situation okay. That initial firefight between the two teams, how long did that last? It lasted probably about three to five minutes. Um, so the, the dismounts that we had um, that, were, that were being engaged, they were able to um, split further into, into two groups and essentially flank one of the, one of the enemy positions. Um, they were able to to eliminate that that enemy position with just small arms um, small arms fire. That was the one directly to the south of them. Uh, there was another enemy position, the one with the RPG, that was more concerning to me. Um, that was southwest of their position. And as they were maneuvering, trying to get you know position of relative advantage to 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 better engage that that enemy element, AWT the Apaches came on station, um, and they were able to to quickly vector in and destroy that um, destroy that enemy element. Was the enemy? Just those six guys ahead of time. Yes, yeah, so everything had essentially gone quiet at that point. Um, you know, I think you know they're definitely on edge, but um, or at least you know our, our friendlies were, were definitely alert as they're as they're conducting this movement. Um, you know, they just they'd just been shot at from the south, but as they approached the the target compound, it was it was a large uh, a large area. It had about a uh, eight to ten foot concrete wall all the way around it, um, and then the building itself had kind of a, a third story tower um, that could look down over the over the road that that uh, our forces are moving on. Um, so a, as our forces continued their movement from west to east, they got within fifty meters of this compound and immediately starting started receiving fire again. Um, from this this third story building, and uh, obviously they, you know they're immediately going to um, take cover. So the ones that were nearest the compound uh, moved up against the wall of the compound, and then those that were on the the north side of the road um, found some cover um, in a, an irrigation ditch that was on the north side of the road. How did that fight evolve? So as as that fight progressed, um, this one is really where we were able to kind of bring the full uh, full force to bear of what we had on our vehicles. Um, so we had the uh, the carco the mounted carco element with you know with their fifty cals um, that was west of of the target compound and then my element that was north of the target compound um, and so the vehicles were able to to engage this third floor um, this third story tower that was that was firing down on our dismounts um, and and fairly quickly uh, eliminate that enemy element. As that's going on, what's your role as the XO? So being uh, that you know I was the only officer and. In, in, 
really, I think it was the only one above an E4 in that in that mobile CP where, where we had all of our vehicles located. Um, I'm helping to kind of, you know, vector our guys in for security, making sure that we're, we're maintaining awareness, um, you know, both dismounted outside the vehicles as well as um, you know, where, where we're, we're focusing our, our firepower, um, you know, with, within the, within the video, within, within, uh, our vehicle dismount area. Um, once, once that is set and I had, re- you know, there's really good soldiers that they were very good at maintaining their sectors of security, uh, sectors of security, and they didn't require much, um, much attention for me. I I'm processing those BDAs and I'm getting that, um, back up to the higher headquarters. My, my company commander was, was aware of everything the whole time. And he really let me kind of fight the comms. Um, and and work work those channels um, up to our higher headquarters and um, just make sure that they have a, a very clear understanding of um, of the the frontline trace of all of our dismounted and mounted elements. At this point, you've been outside the wire for a fair amount of time, haven't you? We've been out for about six seven hours, so it's getting in early afternoon now. Um, you know, initially we we kind of deployed down to this area early morning uh, before sunrise, like I said, to, so we can get the jump um, on the enemy there. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a full morning. Um, you know, we've we've taken contact from multiple areas, um, and it, it's hot too. You know, this is this is August in, in eastern Afghanistan. Um, so I think the temperature was probably high nineties, low hundreds that day. Um, guys moving with you know full kit, obviously you know full full combat loads. Um, so you know they've been they've been hoofing it for for six or seven hours at this point. And at what point is the decision made that you've accomplished the objectives? After that last contact, um, the enemy was pretty clearly defeated, um, pretty clearly de- destroyed um, within that compound. We felt like we had, uh, my commander felt like his command, uh, excuse me, his intent was, was accomplished at that point. Mike, I want to thank you for your time today and for joining us on The Spear. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a, been a great honor. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Spear. The Spear is produced by the Modern War Institute at West Point. What you hear in each episode are the views of the participants and don't represent the position of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. Be sure you're subscribed to The Spear on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app, where you can also give the podcast a rating or leave a review, which helps us reach new listeners. And if you aren't yet following MWI on social media, please find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening.